If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And today, we are going to be speaking with Monica Kant about ways that your board chair can support you as a chief executive. Before we do that, I want to just quickly remind folks that part of what we're talking about is something that I end up doing a lot of coaching on as well, which is helping chief executives work really productively with their board. And as a former chief executive twice and as an interim executive director multiple times, I have had the privilege of working with a number of boards. And so I think we're going to have a really dynamic conversation with Monica today. Let me share a little bit about Monica with you. She is a lawyer, an adjunct professor of law, a TEDx speaker, a successful executive director, and frankly, a change maker in the space of immigration and violence against women. She is an engaging and inspirational executive director with deep knowledge and a personal commitment to women's rights and the strategic vision to make a real difference. She was the chief executive of the Georgia Asylum and Immigration Network here in Georgia, where they were advocating and, frankly, helping in court and elsewhere, helping survivors of persecution and violence who are immigrants. She was actually their founding executive director. And so if you've been a first-time executive director or if you've been in the nonprofit sector for a while, you know that founding executive director is one of the toughest roles in the sector because you are not only creating a position, but you are actually building an organization around you. While she was there, and she was there for, gosh, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think 15 plus years. And while she was there, she built it from really an organization where she was the first staff member to an organization with a budget of over $2 million. 
did a phenomenal job. She recently left Gain and became the executive director of the Asian Pacific Institute on Gender-Based Violence, based in San Francisco. I will also share with you that I first got to know Monica because I connected with her around GAIN strategic planning and have been facilitating GAIN strategic planning process. So I first got to know Monica through this, and as she was transitioning out, she was sharing with me that she had written an incredible article um, that she'd actually originally written just for her board chair, which was, hey, here are 10 ways that as board chair, coming incoming board chair, you can support the executive director. And to the board chair's credit, the person had actually asked that Monica write something to help them understand this. So it was both proactive on both of their parts. When she sent this to me, my jaw dropped and I said, oh my gosh, Monica, I've got this humble podcast and we've got to get you on the podcast because these this is solid gold. These are 10 great tips. We're not going to have the chance to explore all of them today, but I'm really looking forward to talking about several of them with Monica. So Monica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dolph. I'm really excited to be with you today. Well, well, thank you. I, I know that you're currently working on two coasts. You're working on the East Coast, and you're also working in San Francisco. And this is our first recording session of the day. So it is before 9 a.m. East Coast time, 6-something a.m. San Francisco time. So thank you so much for being with us. No problem. I'm happy to be here. And I understand that you have an incredible story about a gala and a way in which your open and trusting relationship with the board chair really helped overcome a hurdle with your gala. Yes, absolutely. And one thing I've realized over my 15 years of being an executive director with GAIN is that you have to have solid trust and open communication with your board chair because they can be your advocate, they can be your support system, they can maybe challenge you when you know you may be a little bit hesitant to take a big move. And so about uh, five years ago, GAIN was going through a transition in fundraising. Um, and it was because before we were, um, you know, housed in a law firm, our office space, you know, uh, many of our operations were being taken care of by that law firm. And this was a significant year because we were then, you know, the, um, asked to uh, find our own space. We were growing and the law firm was downsizing. So it was the right time for us to, you know, put on our big boy pants and make a move. And that was that year. And it was at the same time that we had a gala at the same time, and there was a lot of pressure to raise more money than we ever had during the gala. And before we knew we had to move, we knew we wanted to change up the gala. We knew we wanted it to be, you know, bigger, larger. Uh, we wanted to have an auctioneer, have, you know, solid programming, also have in on top of the auctioneer, a fund in need. So there were a lot of, you know, new uh, parts of the program that we were introducing. And I have to tell you, I was scared. I didn't know what mix would work. I didn't know um, were we doing too much from going to it from a small raise, fundraiser by asking just a little bit of money to suddenly wanting to triple it. And it was my board chair at that time 
who, you know, really um, had the belief and had the faith that some of the decisions we were making were the right decisions. I frankly would maybe at three o'clock in the morning would wake up in a panic, shoot off an email and say, I don't know, do you think we chose the right auctioneer? Do you think we should, you know, have a fund to need? It might be too much, too aggressive, too fast. But it was her faith and it was also her challenging me to think bigger, to having faith in the, um, you know, guests that we were inviting and who were coming, that it would work. And um, despite a lot of my, you know, uh, panic moments and anxiety, the gala was actually one of our best and it did so well. And the guests who came were so supportive. My goal was also to keep the tone of the event very close to our um, work to the staff that was doing the work and to the clients. Every gala, we uplift our clients because as Dolph mentioned in his opening, the work we do is very uplifting and um, it's for an immigrant population. And so she was wonderful in making sure that that tone stayed, but that we pushed ourselves and the gala was a success. That's incredible. And what are some of the ways that that open, honest, trusting relationship with your board chair enabled you to have those frank conversations? I think, you know, from the beginning, you have to um, be on the same page with your, you know, board chair. You may come to the page in different ways, but understanding that you have each other's back, that you may have had past experiences on the board. Maybe the board chair was on a committee and you saw that, you know, board chair take the committee to a different level. That will only build the trust so that when you're finally in this magic position, you have each other's back. I keep saying have each other's back, but it's really, that's what it is. It's like a marriage where you know your partner should have your back. And there's a lot that you can do with the board chair, but there's a lot that, you know, a board chair maybe should question you on as well. And so having that dynamic, you know, relationship is crucial. I love that you compare the board chair chief executive relationship with a marriage because so often I felt the same way where not unlike marriage, it can be really good or it can be really unpleasant, but it takes both of us in that relationship to make sure that it's strong. That's right. That's right. And you both know that at the end of the day, what's um, important is the organization. Right. Now, you mentioned sometimes the board chair needs to challenge the executive director. And I love in the document that you had shared with me, one of the subheaders is to challenge the executive director respectfully. Talk to me about that. That's right. And, you know, I think When you're both working towards a larger goal, not everyone is walking in with the right idea or the perfect idea. And sometimes like at the gala, some of my ideas that I did bring up were a little out there. I would say, oh my gosh, let's bring a high school band so they can play in a refugee band. You know, wouldn't that be a great idea? And yes, it might've been a good idea, but to do it in a year where there were so many moving pieces, my board chair would challenge me respectfully and say, Monica, that's a great idea, but we're not ready for that yet. Let's get the auctioneer. Let's get the programming. Let's get, you know, these pieces of it correct. And then maybe next year we can add on that refugee band that you want to add on. And so it was, you know, not 
throwing my idea into the garbage and saying that's a really bad idea, Monica, but acknowledging my enthusiasm for wanting to bring in, you know, something different and lively and on point to the event, but also maybe saying, Monica, that's a great idea, but perhaps not this year. And that's what challenging the ED respectfully means. I believe that there's a lot, you know, when you're doing board governance, nominating of new uh, board members, you're going to have a difference of an an opinion. And it doesn't mean that someone's opinion is right or wrong. It just might not be the right time right now. Did you ever reach a point with a board chair and gosh, you know, please don't know, don't feel like you need to name names. But did you ever reach a point with a board chair where you couldn't reconcile the the difference? And so maybe it's a prospective board member and the chief executive really feels like they'd make a great board member and the chair doesn't or vice versa. And how did you reconcile that within within being comfortable as well challenging each other? That's a great question. I, there have been many times, you know, over 15 years that I've been ED, you know, that that has happened. There have been times where I was wrong. And there were times where the chair was wrong. But if you trust each other and know that, okay, if it is wrong, we'll fix it, you know, and having that out and having that um, plan B um, makes the jumping into different waters or the challenge of making a difficult choice a little bit easier and not pointing fingers. You know, I think that's important too, because not every decision you're going to make is going to be the right decision. It could be, maybe this was the right decision for right now, and maybe there was a better decision. We just didn't get there. And so absolutely there has been. And I think having, um, you know, acknowledgement of it, but then moving on and trying to have a plan to fix it is the way to deal with that situation. So I love the way you talk about that, Monica, because it's not just, okay, we're going to be willing to challenge each other. But if it turns out that one of us wasn't fully right, we're not going to point fingers. We're not going to blame. We're, we're going to, as you say, sit down and figure out how we're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And you need a partner, a thought partner in doing that. And, you know, that really is how much I valued my board chair, because having, you know, that open communication and building that trust allows you for a safe space to say, you know what, that decision wasn't the best on my part. Let's figure it out together. Mm-hmm. So something else that you talked about in the text that you sent me was motivating the larger board to participate and do more. Absolutely. So we had, you know, at any given moment, a board size of maybe 15 to 22 board members. And, you know, yes, you could have that really strong relationship with your, you know, board chair, but how do you get that messaging that more support might be needed or more ideas might be needed, more fundraising might be needed from the larger board? There's you know, if you're an executive director listening, you know that the list continues endlessly of what you need as an executive director for the organization. And so a lot of times I learned in the beginning of my years as being executive director, I could stand there even at a podium and say things over and over again that I need more of this, I need support, I need more volunteer attorneys. And everyone would acknowledge it and say, yes, Monica, I understand. I never felt that no one was listening to me. However, when you have a backup of a board chair also messaging the same way, but with a different voice, it supports and it buttresses what you're saying as an executive director. And that also 
allowed um, a little bit of strength to my words because my board chair would be saying the same thing. And not only would the board, the larger board hear the messaging twice, but um, also being that role model of saying, I'm doing this for the organization, I invite you to join me and do the same. I'll share with you, when I was an executive director, I found that to be so helpful and useful when my board chairs or co-chairs would step in in that way. And I always remember some conversations that I had with my board co-chairs where literally we'd start off the beginning of the year and sort of divide up the board and say, okay, when we need to be reaching out to board members and asking them to engage or engage more, um, you know, these five board members are your responsibility and these five board members are your responsibility and these three board members are my responsibility. And it was so useful because then when there was an issue with a board member, we knew whose responsibility it was. And, you know, that person is the one who would follow up. I love that idea. Not only are the three of you connecting with the mission of that moment yourselves, but you're also reaching out in full power. And I think that that's a great idea. You know, I think check-ins with the board on a yearly basis or an annual basis or twice a year, whatever is needed, is so important as well. And it's something that we've instituted. And I'm assuming you also typically do regular meetings with you and your chair or co-chairs. That's right. I've heard and I've now I'm at a second organization and they do that as well. Once or twice a month, you know, is probably a good measure of when to do it, but it depends, you know, on um, each organization. But for me, once a month was really a good check-in point because then, you know, you could speak for an hour, 90 minutes and have enough to check in about. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. And so, one of the other things I know that you had shared with me is sometimes as an ED, we're in a particularly difficult meeting. Maybe it's a meeting where with the finance committee and they have to have a hard conversation about making some tough choices in an upcoming budget. Or maybe it's a meeting with constituents or staff members, and it's just a tough meeting to do sometimes. And so you talk about the importance of the board chair just checking in after some of those tough meetings. That's right. Of course, as an executive director, you're going to have difficult meetings. You're going to have, you know, maybe a difference of vision with the larger board, you know, after a strategic planning mission. And, you know, once you get to know uh, your board chair very well, you know, some of their uh, triggers, you know, some of, you know, soft spots. And so, the same went the other way around where they got to really know me or they may have known I was really psyched about an idea and then it just got pummeled through. So what meant the most to me, and it's a very small thing, but I would get a text from a board member or I would get an email saying, Monica, you handled that great. I'm sorry it didn't go the way that you wanted, but we're here for you. You know, And just even a text uh, supporting me would change some of the deflation I felt. Or it could go in the other way, you know, as if, you know, something went really well and just having a positive text uh, would also continue to uplift me. Because as an ED, you're making so many decisions. You're pulled in so many different directions, the staff, the board, the community, the funders, that sometimes you feel like you're being stretched. And just to get a text from the board chair at the right moment meant the world. And it really underscores that personal relationship. It, it's typically our friends that will text us when something is tough and they know we're having a hard time. That's right. That's right. And, you know, those texts mean a lot. Um, right. So I encourage a lot of board chairs to do, to do that. I, I don't think it's a overstepping of duties at all. I think it's just right. 
I would imagine it's also a two-way street. So if you know your board chair just had a really rough meeting, whether it's with your organization or professionally or whatever, to do the same. That's right. That's exactly right. Many of the board chairs that I've worked with have um, moved on to be really close colleagues, friends of mine. It's not during the relationship that I suddenly say, oh, you're my friend, but it actually develops a little bit later. And um, checking in on each other, especially when you've gone through so much together, um, is something that I would do for something that I care about as you know, someone in my family, someone who I grew up with. And I now add a board member to my list as well. So it's funny you say that because that's true with me as well. It's not true for every board chair, but a number of the board chairs that I've worked with and served with have become friends. In fact, in one case, we've vacationed with them twice. I went to her wedding. She came to my wedding. Like, And by the way, we had to get on planes to do that. So we were not in the same city at that point. And, and in one case, actually, one time when we were meeting them somewhere, literally it meant that we were flying to India in order to meet them in India. But it was that kind of a relationship where, you know, literally, and to this day, if, you know, she called me up and she's like, Dolph, I really need X from you, I, I would do it. And I know that she would do the same for me. And that's beautiful, isn't it? And it develops because when you're in that relationship, particularly if it's a hard year, you know, in the organization's lifespan, you've been through a lot together. Absolutely. One of the things I think is part of building that strong relationship, and you talk about this, is, you know, sometimes board chairs just can't do what they're supposed to do as board chair. Their own life gets in the way. They have a family emergency. They have a work trip that requires that they miss the retreat or miss a board meeting. And one of the things that you said, and and admittedly, I'd not thought about it quite in such a crystal way before, but the importance of when the board chair can't step up and do what they're supposed to do for them to find the replacement, not you as the chief executive. That's right. There, you know, as a board chair, you may have a funder meeting that you have to attend with the executive director, or you know, there's these big, um, you know, moments of, you know, importance to the organization. Perhaps it's a fundraiser that you know your um, ED is speaking, and then as board chair, you might be following the ED with an ask of the you know audience that has been there. So usually the board chairs are included in you know uh, big moments, uh, you know that the organization needs. So it really helps that, you know, life happens, board chair can't make it, but already it's a stressful situation. And for the executive director to suddenly think on their feet, find a replacement, maybe it's the junior board chair, maybe it's the treasurer, I'm not sure. There's so many things going, you know, through my mind as ED, it's really helpful for the board chair to find their own replacement. You know, Monica, I am so sorry I couldn't come. You know, my child is sick. However, I asked our secretary and I've briefed them on what they need to say to be your support and attend that donor meeting with you. That helps tremendously. And part of what I like about that is it also helps to create what I think of as a no surprise relationship. That's right. That's right. 
Um, there's so many surprises coming at an executive director and it's like a teamwork where you're, you know, think of yourselves as, a, you know, Batman and Robin, you're handling it together. And, you know, there's, okay, if Batman is tied up, then Robin is there doing what they need to do. And so that's such a great relationship. And a byproduct of that is not even one that you might think of is that you're building up other support coming up the pike, up the, you know, chain of board members who can also support the ED because they were thrusted into a new situation. Mm -hmm. I'll share with you that typically when I start a new chief executive, sorry, interim chief executive or interim executive director engagement, I'll often have kind of that first meeting with the board chair where I am the interim. And I, I'm kind of like, okay, let's, let's just set out some ground rules. You know, how often are we going to meet? What's our preferred way of ta of communicating between when we meet? Is it text? Is it email? Is it phone calls? But then I also will typically say, can we agree that we're not going to surprise each other? That you know, I'm never going to call you up after something has blown up and been like, wow, this this is blown up. If I think it might happen before, I'll tell you, okay, I, we may have a problem here and I need the same from you. And there is really something nice about that level consistency of knowing that they're never going to walk into a meeting and just drop something that's going to destroy your entire week or month without you having some sense that you're going to have a conversation that's going to change the course of the next month. That's absolutely right, Dolph. It goes both ways, right? It's that, you know, uh, trust, communication, but also respect. And it goes, you know, both ways for both parties because it's a partnership. And I, and I love that. I, I, I think I'm going to use that when I now <laughs> talk to my new board chair. Can we agree on no surprises? I love that. <laughs> well, yeah, there's just something about it. And, and the other thing and kind of the, the core of what I think you're getting at, and Monica, this is, this is what, I, what I really love. And I'm, I'm often amazed. I, I know you have a JD. I know you're a lawyer. But I often, I often will go and look at your LinkedIn profile and say, Does she, am I sure she doesn't have a social work degree as well? Because you have such a really good way of just connecting with individuals. Part of the core of what I think you're also kind of getting at is for you and your board chair to see each other as humans and, and as the chief executive to not just say, okay, I, you know, here are the 12 things I need from my board chair and gosh darn it, my board chair better give it to me. But it really is the building the relationship, giving your board chair what your board chair needs to meet their their goals as the chair to help your organization move forward. But it really is that relationship and that two-way street. That is right. It's not a transactional relationship. For me, it's a relationship where we uplift each other because if we're doing our best for um, the organization, you know, for each other, it's only going to benefit the organization as a whole. And I go into every meeting wanting to build a relationship with who I see in front of me, you know, not just for a purpose, but really for a long-term partnership. And I know when I've been an executive director, when I've succeeded the most is when I have viewed my board chair or co-chairs as one of the most important primary relationships in my life, kind of up there with spouse and like if you have a COO and COO, but really it, it, it ranks up there where I find that I spend almost as much time cultivating that relationship as I do with a COO or a CFO. 
Absolutely. I agree with you there, Dolphin. You know, going back to the gala story, that chair um, who was by my side during that year where we had the gala, we had the move, we had everything that could happen in one year happen to us. She is one of my really, really good friends right now, but it took time to cultivate that relationship. And then when we got through that year and we felt like we had been through a war, um, we can now look back and, you know, we have that language that we just need to say a few things and we know what the other is thinking. And um, she recently just had a baby and, you know, I was um, so happy to be part of her virtual baby shower. And, you know, it's a relationship that you cherish even moving forward, like I mentioned before. Well, Monica, you know, every episode we do an off the map question and there are so many different things rolling around in my head as possible off the map questions. I know you're a jewelry maker, so I thought about asking you about being a jewelry maker, but ultimately I decided dance because I, I think sometimes I think the relationship between the board chair and a chief executive is like a really good dance. So I decided instead to ask you about dance. Now, I understand that you are, in addition to being a lawyer and um, while not having a social work degree, being a great social worker too, and advocate. Tell me about being a dancer. So for me, dancing is a childhood love. Um, my parents told me when I could walk, I would then dance right quickly after. And whenever music would come on, I would just move. And so uh, growing up in New Jersey, they sent me to um, an Indian uh, dance teacher who was a former Bollywood star in India. And she trained me for 10 years. And I have my dancing degree in Bharatanatyam, Indian dance. And it's a very classical form of Indian dance. I would say it's very similar to ballet. And um, that dance, you know, taught me a lot of discipline. But what it also taught me in relationship, you know, to being um, an executive director is connectivity. So when you dance, I would often dance for an audience. I would dance at shows. I would dance at, um, you know, college events. But to me, the connection with the audience was very, very, um, you know, important to me because if I could connect to the audience, it would re-energize me to dance more. It would give me more energy to dance, uh, you know, even stronger than I had before. And so it's very important to me to have that connectivity to my executive, um, sorry, to the executive team, to my board chair, but also um, everyone that comes across, you know, the organization that I'm with. Because if you have that connectivity, then the energy redirects back to you as an executive director and you can move on. So it really was that foundation that um, just motivates me to dance harder, uh, dance stronger, but also do the same in being an executive director. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. I understand that you're also keeping dance in the family. So in addition to being a dancer, um, and I actually think that that's the most important thing is you're a dancer, but you're also a dance mom. I am. I never thought um, my title would be Monica, you know, lawyer, executive director and dance mom, but it is. And my daughter, who is now 16 years old, started dancing from the age of three and she's a competitive dancer with a group. And I remember when she was seven years old, I, I asked her, I wanted to see what her reasons were for loving dance. And I asked her, Karenna, why do you dance? You know, what is it about dance? And she goes, dance makes me happy. 
And I love dancing because I'm happier. And to me, when she said that, I said, I got you. I got you, girl. I know exactly what that means. And, you know, since then, I don't question it. And I give up any time I can to support her dance. Wow. And what type of dance? She, so I was an Indian dancer, as I mentioned, I did Bharatanatyam, which is the classical Indian dance. She does everything but that. She'll, she's a, a tap dancer, jazz, hip hop, um, ballet, and contemporary dancer. Her favorite is tap, though. She's a very good tap dancer. Very, very cool. So I have to share with you, I am not a dancer, but I have three nieces that are dancers. And a couple years ago, I was facilitating the strategic planning process for a ballet company. And in that process, I actually got to know some of the principal dancers. And it was so adorable. I I brought my nieces to a performance. And afterward, like, principal dancers actually came up and talked to us. And they were on, because my nieces are like 11 and under. So they were on cloud nine. They're like, oh my gosh, professional ballerinas came and talked to us. And it was funny because in their minds, I had never been a rock star, but something about ballerinas coming and talking to me, like my stock went up five points that day. (laughs) You are now their favorite uncle. (laughs) Right, exactly. Listeners, if you want to reach out to Monica, here's how you can find her. You can go to api-gbv.org. And that, of course, is the organization she's the executive director of, the Asian Pacific Institute on Gender-Based Violence. Once again, that's api-gbv.org. And there, you can find out more about the work that Monica and her organization are doing. And I'd be willing to bet there's probably even a way to reach out to Monica there as well. So make sure you check it out. And if you don't have a pen on you, you know you can always go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com and you can get the URL to reach out to Monica there. And we'll also, as I already said, we will link the PDF document where she lists all 10. And again, it is really solid gold. You have got to go online and download this. So listeners, that is our show for this week. There's two episodes, if you enjoyed this one, that I want you to think about. One is episode 71, The CEO Next Door with Kim Powell. Oh my gosh, the book is off the chain. I often gift that book to executive to individuals that are moving into executive director roles, whether or not they've been an ED before. It is that good. So make sure you check out episode 71. And then also check out episode 163, Good Old Fashioned Fundamentals with Joan Gary. That is our show for this week, listeners. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And then I always have to give you the quick disclaimer. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Well, honestly, it seems kind of obvious to me. If that's what you're looking for, you should seek out a qualified, licensed professional. And if you're not sure who to reach out to or you don't know anyone in your community, you can reach out to me. And if I know someone in your community, I'm happy to make the connection.